You can explore the tropical world and all its fascinating diseases right in the heart of London. That's what I discovered when I popped into the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine archives, which have been set up as a resource for the whole world to use to get information about public health anywhere and under the most extreme conditions. I talked with archivist Emma Golding and firstly Victoria Craner. We have the papers of scientists who are involved in tropical medicine and um, public health initiatives. So the school actually was started in 1899 and it was the idea behind it was to tackle these tropical diseases which were happening in our colonies um, and to make sure that the British servicemen who were serving out there didn't catch the tropical diseases. So it was founded in 1899 by Sir Patrick Manson. So we have the records of the origins and the foundation of the school. We have obviously the administrative records of the minutes going back so we can really document the big decisions, the big changes that have happened throughout its history. Sometimes they're not the most interesting (laughs) records um, to look at and to study, but if you're interested in that kind of administrative side of the history, they're obviously very useful. And then we have personal papers of um, scientists. So we have the papers of Sir Ronald Ross, who is the discoverer of the mosquito transmission of malaria. And they're very important records about his work, his actual discovery. We have his notebook where he's made his very famous discovery. And he was the first Briton to win a Nobel Prize for Medicine in 1902. He never actually worked at the school, but through another institute called the Ross Institute, which came, was, came under the umbrella of the school in the 1930s, we have his records. We also have records of people such as um, Professor Leeson, who in the 1930s went and did expeditions um, to Africa. So we have lots of records showing um, their roots, um, how they kind of lived when they were in African countries and um, Asian countries. Photographs, we've got some films of expeditions. And it's really interesting just to see, and some of the current scientists are very interested to see, well, what is on their list? There may be their initial list of equipment they're going to need compared to what was happening in, in the 1930s. On the public health side, we have um, some more up-to-date material. So we have a large collection of AIDS posters from the 1980s and 1990s. Um, these came from the Centre for um, sexual and reproductive health. So it's about 700 posters from around Europe showing, and these really demonstrate how the different countries were approaching um, HIV and AIDS. So some are very doom and gloom, some focus on the, um, say, homosexual aspect, some focus on the drugs aspect. So as an entity, they're a really important research resource. And also with that collection, we've got some more ephemeral material, if you like, so badges and hats and t-shirts all promoting kind of the safe sex message. It's all fascinating material not only documenting milestones within tropical health but a key resource for research. If you have literature, you have film footage, what other kinds of things might people discover here? Um, We've got thousands of photographs both digitised and in print and we've also got artefacts such as um, microscopes um we've got a box that patrick manson who founded the school used to carry his mosquitoes in to experiment on uh blood slides boxes we've also got some audio recordings as well um, and slide collections that were used for teaching here at the school so quite a variety of material how on earth did you begin to start going through everything and organizing everything it sounds like such an enormous undertaking 
Well, when I first started, there was like big red crates which were on the floor and just full of records. But as an archivist, you're kind of trained in how to um, organise and sort and appraise and catalogue material. So you kind of go back to your, your training. So rather than get overwhelmed by the kind of enormity of the task, you take a section and you do it kind of piece by piece. So we um, sorted everything and appraised it to make sure that we wanted to retain it. And then we catalogued it according to these international standards of archival description. We put it on our database and in trying to remember the date, I think 2006, we made that available to the public. So the public and the research community can log onto our website and actually search for the collections that we have. So although we're really keen for people to come in and use the archives, they can also use it online and see what we have. And we will answer inquiries by email and obviously by letter and phone. So if people can't get here, we will do our best to kind of facilitate their research. So tell me a little bit about the Welcome-funded cataloguing project that you have, what's been happening there. Emma? Yes, well, we've both um, done a Welcome-funded cataloguing project. I've just completed um, a two-year project, which was funded by the Welcome Trust Research Resources in Medical History Award. Um, It was started by my predecessor, and then I took that over in August. And that is the school's nutrition collection. And it's a really, really varied but unique resource. Um, And it's essentially the papers that that were created by the school's nutrition department and collected by them. So it spans from around about the 1920s to the 1990s and really covers all the areas of nutrition that the school has been involved in. So there's some of the main areas are um, large kind of interdisciplinary studies in the British colonies in the 1930s and 1950s. Um, there's more up-to-date material on obesity. There's some fantastic material from the Second World War and uh, from the Ministry of Food and also from uh, prisoner of war camps. And what for you as the experts of the archive, what for you are the best bits within the welcome-funded cataloguing project? Victoria, what's your favourite parts? I think... From the Ross project, it was kind of making it all accessible and he was such an important figure. And through doing that project, I got quite a good insight into him as well because you don't read all the correspondence, but, you know, you do a little pricey of the correspondence so you see kind of what's there. And to really get an idea about what this man um, did and what he achieved was very important. But my favourite kind of item out of the collections, I think, is something called the Carpenter Diary, And this is a joint diary between a couple that went to Uganda in the 1920s and he was their medical officer for sleeping sickness. And this diary includes photographs, their wedding invitation, press announcements about their wedding and joint entries about their trips to Uganda and the way they travelled there. So they went on the Orient Express and saw the pyramids on the way and these amazing experiences that they had and also while they're out there the social life they had in Uganda it was very um, obviously there was lots of expats living in a particular kind of area and their social life was just kind of replicated from what it would have been in the UK so there was polo matches cricket matches they did amateur dramatics they had lots of people over for dinner and so it gives a real insight into what life was like in that time so they were very privileged to be out there but life was quite hard as well and they went on safari to do the medical research to try and um, work on sleeping sickness as well and the thing I find interesting is although she wasn't as far as I know the lady in it um, Amy Carpenter wasn't medically trained she supported and helped her husband with the medical um, experiments so they were a real couple kind of doing the work together and I think that's a fairly unique the fact that there's entries from both of them in that diary so that's my kind of favorite thing that I always get out and show visitors
It does sound fascinating. And what for you, Emma, has been one of the highlights in the archive? Um, Well, I think it's the Nutrition Collections um, series of records that relate to um, two medical officers that were interned in prisoner of war camps um, during the Second World War. And it's a fascinating collection because it records the work the vast amount of work that they were able to do whilst they themselves were interned in the camps in ensuring that people were assessed and their their nutritional status was assessed and they did the best that they could with the resources available to ensure that they were receiving um, nutrients, things like we've got diaries of vitamins that they gave out, bran allocations. And the records themselves are, are actually an amazing sort of piece of history they're written on very small scraps of fragile paper in pencil because that's all that they had at the time in the camps incredible time capsule that we're getting here but who's going to have access to the archive can anyone just walk in off the street and have a look how can we get involved in the collection access is open to anyone um so they can look on our website and find our um how to get here and how to use the material we do ask people to make appointments just because um, so we can plan our time and we know we would like to have the material out ready for when people come so they can make the best use of their time. So we do ask people to look on the catalogue and kind of give us some idea of the material they would like to see. But we are open yeah, Monday to Friday, nine to five. Um, and we do our best to see people. And as I said, we also try and offer we won't do their research for them, but we will offer as much advice and um, if they can't actually get here. Archivists Victoria Craner and Emma Golding of the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. And if you want more information, try sending them an email at archives at lshtm.ac.uk. For Audio News, I'm Sarah Maxwell.